بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ of July in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah we're beginning the 13th week the 85th night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu and the last thing I mentioned was the great praise that Ibn Mas'ud who gave to his students when he gathered them, when he was leaving Kufa for the last time. He said, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I am convinced that such religiousness, deep understanding of the deen, and knowledge of the Qur'an shall surface amongst you people that surpasses that of all other Muslims. Subhanallah. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Al-Haydami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 1, page 450. He comments upon the chain of narrators, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 780 of the New English Translation. So here the great Ibn Mas'ud was praising his students. And he basically said, nobody can surpass you I, in terms of understanding the deen. And of course, these students were the fathers of, or the spiritual fathers of Imam Abu Hanifa, Rahmatullahi. And lo and behold, more than 50% of the Muslim world follow the understanding of, uh, follow the Quran and Sunnah with the understanding of the Hanafis. So this is again a clarification of Ibn Masood's statement. Then I mentioned he had many students, but the most famous were Hassan al-Basri, Al-Qama ibn Qais, Masruq, Al-Aswad, and Amr al-Sha'bi, Rahimahumullah. So let us give a brief now about some of his students. So let's first mention Al-Qama ibn Qais, Rahmatullahi. So Al-Qama, Rahmatullahi, he was a resident of Kufa. He was born during the lifetime of our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he actually was alive, he was on the earth when the Prophet was with us, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But of course, at the time, Kufa was the land of the Persians. Amr ibn Shurahbil, he relates about him, Rahmatullahi. Let us go to the one who resembles Sayyidina Ibn Mas'ud the most in conduct and attitude, i.e. Al-Qama. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat 6-86, Abu Nu'im al-Hiriya 2-98. So one of the contemporaries said, the one who resembles the great Ibn Mas'ud the most, both in his character and attitude, was Al-Qama. Thus, Al-Qama, his conduct and attitude were like our beloved messenger. <laughs> Why? Because what did Hudayfa say about Ibn Mas'ud? The one who is most like him, the Prophet in his mode of conduct was, was Ibn Mas'ud. <laughs> so by mentioning Al-Qama was just like Ibn Mas'ud, what you're actually saying is he resembles the Prophet. It is also related Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he used to love listening to the recital of Al-Qama rahmatullahi this is in Ibn Sa'd in his Tabakat 6-90-91 so he loved all his students 
he had a particular fondness to hear the recital of Al-Qamal. Those, just like his venerable teacher, Al-Qamal also had an angelic voice when reciting the Qur'an. Ibn Mas'ud, the Prophet said, whoever would like to hear the revelation as fresh as the day or night it was revealed to me, let him listen to the recitation of Ibn Umi Abd. This is in Ibn Majah Sayyid. So Ibn Masood loved to hear Al-Qamah's recitals. What does that tell you? He was like a common copy of Ibn Masood. It is similarly related in Kanzul Umal, volume 3, page 39. Sayyidina Abdullah Ibn Masood, he would summon Al-Qamah to recite the Quran. Then whilst reciting, Ibn Masood would say to him, Zidna fidaka abi wa ummi. Increase it for us. May my father and mother be sacrificed for you. I heard Rasulullah say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, reciting the Quran with a beautiful voice enhances its beauty. Subhanallah. So look how much he loved to hear his recital. He would say, Increase it, don't stop. Increase it. May my mother and father be sacrificed for you. Then he said, the Prophet mentioned that reciting the Quran with a beautiful voice increases the beauty. So note, he was praising him. Indeed, this noble man was an epitome of forbearance and humility. Consider the following report. Someone once insulted Al-Qamah, greatly, and in turn he showed no indignation. So this person was speaking ill of him insulting him, probably even worse. He's not responding. Mm. After the man finished, Al-Qama responded by reciting the following verse in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah 33, verse 58. Al-Ahzab, <laughs> Those who hurt the believing men and believing women without they having earned it, they have laid upon themselves calumny and a manifest sin. The man then retorted arrogantly, Are you a believer? Al-Kama replied, I hope so. <laughs> this is in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakar 6-86, Abu Nu'im al-Hiriya 2-100. So look how amazing. He was... F- you know, full of humility and forbearance. This man was insulting him. Think about it. Every age, these people like this. They've got nothing better to do but to find fault with the righteous. That's a sign of, you know, a person who's got the wrath of Allah. So you go on the social media. That's what they're doing. Just finding fault. This scholar said this. This sheikh did this. He doesn't know what he His aqidah is not right. He's lost. So this man is saying it to al and he's not even bothering to respond. After he's finished, he recites a verse. Now look how interesting. What does Allah say? Those who hurt or annoy the believing men and women without them having earned it, they have earned themselves calumny and a great sin. So what was the only response the man had? He said, are you a believer? And what he meant by that was, how does that verse apply to you? So what was he calling al Think about the nice calling of a non-Muslim. 
Alka must still come because I hope so. So what do you notice? Ilm and hilm. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he made a dua in kanzul umal. He goes, "Oh my Lord, beautify my knowledge with forbearance." Ilm is knowledge. Hilm is forbearance. So what did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say? It beautifies knowledge. So if you have an alim and if he's got forbearance, you notice. He's very near and dear to the people. But if an alim hasn't got forbearance, he's not beautified. So Alkama, did he have that? He had that to a very high degree. Our beloved mother, Sayyida Aisha, what did she say? Rasulullah once asked, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, do you know what the worst form of usury is in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? They replied, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger know best, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, the worst form of usury is the violation of the personal honor of a Muslim. <laughs> Then the Prophet recited this verse. Those who hurt the believing men and believing women without right have laid upon themselves calumny and a great sin. Surah 33 verse 58. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Behaqi in the Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3710 to 3711. Abu Ya'la in his Musnad, Hakim in his Mustadrak, Khatib 6-63, Ibn Abi Hatim, Ibn Mardawih, Targheeb 3-5-04-5, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, number 12,637, with his Sayyih, chain of transmission. So in this Sayyih Hadith, what did the Prophet say? What amazing question he asked, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What is the worst form of riba? So why is that a shocking question? Because the Prophet ﷺ said the least form of riba is like doing nikah with your mother. So think about it. If somebody goes, a man's married a man, that's not the worst. He goes, what's worse than that? A man marrying a horse? No. A man marrying his mother? He goes, the Prophet ﷺ said the least riba is equal to that. So that's the least. Somebody goes, my God, what's the worst? Somebody goes, astaghfirullah, what's the worst, brother? The Prophet told us, what is it? When you violate the personal honor of a Muslim. That's the worst riba. Now, why is that fascinating? Because would we place it that high? We know it's a sin. Everybody knows it's a sin. You, you bite by, you slander, you, you, know, you do this and that. Everybody knows it's a sin. How great a sin is it? It's the worst riba. Sayyid hadith from the Prophet And then he said, this is the meaning of this verse. What verse? Surah 33 verse 58. Those, those who hurt or annoy the believing men and believing women without right have laid upon themselves what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Buhtanan wa ithman mubina. You know, a huge crime, a huge burden on themselves. The Prophet said, this is how you, you entice the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, there's a report. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa explicitly said in Tirmidhi, authentic hadith, that there's grades of riba, uh, and the worst form is to take the honor of your brother. So this is another report. So how often do we fall into riba? Now what's shocking? People are so concerned about mortgages. You know, it's, brother, I don't want to be at war. I don't want to be at war. 
And then you go, mashallah, brother. You're confusing me now. He goes, why? He goes, you're, you're so concerned about a lower level of riba and not bothered about the most worst form of riba. He goes, what's worse than mortgage? Taking the honor of your brother. So it's not what society says. Society has now said this is acceptable. This is gossip. This is how you pass time. It's acceptable. Do we accept it? It's one of the most greatest crimes in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note, Al-Qama, when the man was speaking ill to him, this is his knowledge. He didn't say anything back to him. He just recited that verse. Why? Because he's an alim. You're thinking, why did he recite that verse? Because he knows what that verse means. He was trying to get across to that, you know, person. He goes, you're falling into the worst form of riba. Completely missed the point. He goes, are you a believer? He goes, I hope so. Al-Qama, Rahmatullah is thus unanimously regarded as reliable and has attained a highly eminent place in the sights of jurisprudence. This blessed man passed away between 62 AH and 73 AH, as recorded in Tahzeeb al-Tahzeeb, volume 7, page 278. So to put that into perspective, Al-Qama, Rahmatullah passed away around 20 years before Anas. <laughs> So, you know, we just hear these dates, yeah, yeah, mashallah, dates. If somebody says, At-Tabi'een passed away before a sahaba, then you think, well, that's interesting, who's that? He's like, are you going to ask me how many years? 20 years before Anas. The guy's scratching his head, he goes, hang on a minute. At-Tabi'een passed away 20 years before Anas. Yes. Who's that? Al-Qama. After his passing, his entire heritage was simply a copy of the Qur'an, a horse in addition to a simple dwelling. Refer to Abu Na'im al-Hiliya, volume 2, page 100. That was his legacy. Because there you go. Divide that amongst yourselves. So what was being divided? Imagine, you know, they were rubbing their hands, thinking, what's he left us? He's left you a copy of the Qur'an, a horse, which he probably used for moving from here to there, jihad, and his dwelling. So there's a lesson in what he's left. Why? Because he was he sent everything forward. The Prophet said in Behaki in Shu'abul Iman and Mishkat, when a person is being carried to his grave, the people ask, What has he left? The angels ask, What has he brought? And that's gonna be us. Imagine. Isn't that they're gonna arrive for us one day? People say, Don't start talking like that. Why? You don't want to talk about death. What do you want to talk about? Hawaii with speedos on, right? So, you know, death. So, isn't that going to happen to us one day? We're going to be, be carried to the grave. And then, aren't you going to be thinking what the angels are thinking? What have I brought? Imagine if somebody could speak to you then. He goes, no, but forget about that. What if you left? Would you give a monkeys about it? Even if you left the entire world? I don't... Why? Because you don't know you've left Koti, Lan, Pesa... You know, there's the gold, silver. You'd be thinking, been bring use. Then why are we so obsessed with it? When we're not going to give a monkeys about it. But you'll be asking, what have I brought? Al-Kama said everything. He left nothing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. I mean, so he's one good deed of Ibn Masud. Let's turn to another student. Al-Aswad. Ibn Yazid, Al-Aswad, he was also a dweller in Kufa. 
He was one of the favored students of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. It is related that his son, Abdul Rahman ibn al-Aswad, used to offer 700 rakat salat every day. Yet he was the weakest worshipper amongst the family of Aswad. Refer to Tafkiratul Hufaz, volume 1, page 48. Tahzeebul Asma, volume 1, page 122. So imagine somebody says, Tell me, you know, show me a righteous family. MashaAllah. Who's the weakest one amongst them? He goes, well, you know, as outwardly, probably this youngster. So how was he lacking? Is let's just talk about his salat. You know, he's weak. If you hear this, you're thinking, are you taking the mic? <laughs> yeah, he offers seven hundred rakats. What in a month? Right? <laughs> he goes, no, in a day. Seven hundred rakats. So, if you add all the sunnah, everything with it, that's not even a hundred. So he's offering probably six hundred rakats plus nothing, and he's the weakest worshiper in the family of Aswad. Yeah. So was he wasting his time? And he's weak. Imagine now somebody goes, you do a shrug, you think the guy's holy? holy? He pays a shrug. It is also related that Al Aswad rahmatullahi traveled eighty times to perform Hajj or Umrah. So this man himself, 80 times, don't forget Hajj is an annual worship. You don't do it every day. So that indicates for 80 years he was going backwards and forwards to Makkah to do the Hajj or the Umrah. Ibrahim al-Nakha'i, rahmatullahi, he relates. Aswad, rahmatullahi, used to complete the Quran in two nights of Ramadan and slept only between Maghrib and Isha. He kept so many fasts, his body used to turn pale and purple. When he was asked, why are you putting yourself through such hardships? He would reply, I desire ease of the hereafter in exchange for these hardships of the body. He would also be often heard saying, O Abu Shabal, the affair of the hereafter is very serious. Hence, do not let anybody deceive you in this regard. This is in Abu Nu'aym al-Hiriya, volume 2, page 103 to 4. So now, what's mentioned? Ibrahim al-Nakha'i, who was the grand sheikh of Imam Abu Hanifa. He's the narrator. These are the teachers of Imam Abu Hanifa. They weren't just, you know, mulvis eating samosa, right? So, Ibrahim al-Nakha'i said, Aswad, two nights, he'd, do, he'd complete the Quran in Ramadan. Two nights. Notice he said nights. He didn't sleep in Ramadan. He only slept between Maghrib and Isha. So think about that. You break your fast. He fell asleep. I don't know how long for. He's ready to do his worship. So was he using the whole of Ramadan for Ibadah? Yes. He fasted so much, his body looked strange. So people goes, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing to yourself? Because I want ease. Look how beautiful. He goes, why are you doing it? And he goes, I want ease. A little bit of hardship than he is. Then he said to one of his students or his contemporaries, the hereafter is a very serious matter, meaning you need to prepare. So look at this, how are you preparing? Struggling for fun? What time's for Jalla? What time's for I don't know, is it four, four, four o'clock? And the way they say it is like, you know, they're doing tajit all night. Astaghfirullah. So this was Aswad. Our beloved mother, Sayyida Aisha, what did she say about him? She said, There is no one in Iraq 
who, who is more respected by me than Al-Aswad. SubhanAllah. There is no one in Iraq more respected by me than Al-Aswad. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 6, page 141 of the English translation. So who's praising? If you don't know who Aisha is, then, then we got problems. She, to get her to praise, is that normal? She goes, in the entire Iraq, he goes, he is the most respected person I know, Al-Aswad, meaning his reputation has now reached the great ones. This noble man passed away shortly after his student, Alqama, fellow student in Kufa, in the year 75 AH. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. I mean, so he's another one good deed of Abdullah ibn Masood. See, when you just hear these names, you know, you get the books of Tafsir, Alqama, oh yeah, 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 mashallah. Who's Alqama? He's a great man, isn't he? Great man. There's quite a few great men we know. But just tell me something, I don't know nothing about him. Why do you say great man then? I could have put your blood in there. <laughs> Is he a great man? <laughs> so when you get these names in the books of Tafsir, you should think, who are these people? <laughs> who are these authorities? <laughs> and when you go through just the, I'm only mentioning briefs about them, not even no detail really. And then you're blown away thinking, are these, are these, these are Tabeen? Well, how great were the Sahaba then? <laughs> Let's turn to another famous student. Ash-Sha'bi. <laughs> what is his full name? His full name is Abu Amr ibn Sharahil al-Sha'bi al-Himyari. Rahmatullahi. He was one of the famous jurists of Kufa. He met over 500 companions. He was one of the eminent teachers of Imam Abu Hanifa. So this is now you got a direct link. <laughs> so when Imam Abu Hanifa heard from Imam Sha'bi, he would say, I heard him in Masood. <laughs> Look at the gap between Imam Abu Hanifa and uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Imam Ahmad and Imam Ijli, they both related his mursal are reliable, they are trustworthy. Refer to Tazkiratul Hufaz, volume 1, page 74 to 82. So now, what does that mean? A mursal report is when a tabi'in relates from the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa so is it possible he heard from the Prophet? No, because he's Tabi'in. That makes the Hadith weak. <laughs> Unanimously, the scholars say it's a weak report, no matter how great the Tabi'in is, because he doesn't mention the Sahaba. There's a gap. But they make a handful of exceptions. One exception is this one. Imam Ahmad, Imam Ijli said, if Imam Sha'abi relates from the Prophet, it's trustworthy. In other words, we don't dare question him. <laughs> Even though we don't know which Sahabi he heard it from. <laughs> now what does that tell you? How much veneration they had for him? Imam Sha'bi. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Amen. So Imam Sha'bi, he's also, he was very harsh against the innovators. He said that if the Shia were animal uh, were animals there'll be donkeys and if they were birds they'd be vultures and he lived amongst them all his life in Kufa and he was a proper thorn in their sight Imam Sha'bi and think about that you know just if you know who Imam Sha'bi is you honestly believe he's not guided you're guided the one who sat at the feet of Ibn Masood doesn't know what is Akida, doesn't know, you know, who is the Ahl al-Bayt, doesn't know whether there's Imamat. And you know, 
And this is how you expose them. You just find out who are you, where's your authorities? Because Flanker Tinkler, you know, we say, Flanker Tinkler, you know, everybody's Alayhi Salaam, no, it's Alayhi Salaam, very from Alayhi Salaam, I'm Alayhi Salaam, right? You know, they all, you know, Ahlul Bayt is in the body. So let us suffice with mentioning one more of his students. So this student isn't well known. His name is Zadan Al Kindi. Zadan Al Kindi. So if you've heard of him, mashallah. So be honest. So what's the report? So this report is recorded by Hafiz Zahabi in his Seer 4-281, Hafiz Ibn Qudama in his Kitab Al-Tawwabin, page 154-5, Mirqat Al-Mafatih, volume 4, page 700, Taht Al-Hadith, number 2199, Ghunya Tut-Talibin, volume 1, page 260. Sayyidina Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud, he was once passing by an area near Kufa, where there was a house of a famous singer, Known as Zadan Al Kindi, so he was like you know one of those famous Arabic singers, beautiful voice. He was singing a song in a most melodious voice, and some intoxicated loafers were swaying to the rhythm of the music. So it was like you know like at nine you know, you know drunks are like you know moving. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu thereupon turned over the vessel of wine spinning it to the ground and he broke the loot and he said Oh youngster if only your beautiful voice could be heard reciting the Quran saying this ibn Mas'ud placed his shawl over the head of the singer and he left so what's happened? So Ibn Masood sees what's going on. This is outside Ufa. So he rebukes them. He, he acknowledges the beautiful voice. He puts his shawl over him. That's interesting. Maybe he was passing something on to him. Faith. And then he left him. Zadan thereupon asked the people, who was he? Who was the man who rebuked me? They responded, the venerable companion, Sayyidina Abdullah Ibn Masood, radiallahu Zadan further asked, what did he say? Because he was, you know, maybe ringing with his own music. Because he said this. Overwhelmed by hearing this, he stood up. He flung his loot to the ground, smashing it. He then tearfully reached the courtyard of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, caught up to him and clung to his garment. Ibn Mas'ud then embraced Zadan and began to weep. He thereupon said, Marhaban biman ahabbahullah ijlis. Welcome. I welcome the one whom Allah Ta'ala loves. Please sit. So what's happened? So maybe this is a miracle karamat of Ibn Masood. Maybe it was the cloak, whatever. He's done Tawbah. And Ibn Masood weeps. And straight away he says, and look at this is the firasa of Ibn Masood. How does he know that he's going to become a great person? He's just embraced Islam. Or took you know, like done Tawbah. He goes, I welcome the one whom Allah loves, Ijlis, sit. He then took out a date and gave it to him. Zadan repented of his song and music and thereupon stayed in the company of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, acquiring the knowledge of the Quran. He thus gained such expertise in the Islamic sciences that he emerged as a great Imam. He narrated from Ibn Mas'ud, Salman al-Farsi and other companions. Radiyallahu ta'ala. So this was Zadan. 
So notice, whenever he's going, he's changing people. You know, there's an incident with Munabatul Hajj, Rahmatullah and Sheikh, one of the Sheikhs mentioned that there was a youngster and he was completely lost. You know, he was, you know, he was, obviously he's Muslim, but, you know, he was, nobody thought he had a hope in hell of changing his ways. So by nook and crook, they took him to Murabatul Hajj, Rahmatullah And just by looking at him, he changed. Because we saw it, because he changed. Did Tawbah. So what does that tell you? So much blessings is descending with the righteous that you can change the biggest shaitans just by being in their presence. Sheikh Hamza mentions about Murabat al-Hajj. Somebody asked me something you know, about your Sheikh. He said his hair always smelt of musk. He goes, always. He goes, by Allah. Where was the musk coming from? He goes, at night when he slept, he goes, I was with him for three months. He let me sleep in his tent for three months. And he goes, he was reciting the Quran. So I thought, he's not sleeping. When I asked one of his children, he goes, oh, he reads Quran in his sleep. So he was reading Quran. And he goes, he was reading the complete Quran. Not just Qulullah. <laughs> right? You know, he was reading. And Sheikh Hamza was, he's reading the Quran in his sleep. He's doing khatam of the Quran. So these were the, so now this is a Sheikh who's recently passed away. He was 110 according to one. Then what about these great people who met the Sahab? One moment, Zadan becomes an Imam. To conclude, half is Zahabi in his seer. What did he say about it? 4 280 to 281. Zadan was one of the major scholars. He was born during the lifetime of Rasulullah. He was present during Umar's sermon at Jabiya. So when Umar actually came to Jabi, he was there. He narrated from Umar, Ali. Aisha, Hudayfa, Ibn Umar, Al-Bara Ibn Azim, he passed away in the year 82 AH, i.e. passing away even before some of the honorable companions who were still alive, such as Anas, who passed away a decade after him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon all the honorable students of Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud and forgive us all for their honorable sake. Amen. So these were the fathers of Imam Abu Hanifa in terms of spirituality. These were the sheikhs who he learned from. So now question. He's learning from senior tabi'in, Imam Abu Hanifa. He himself is a tabi'in. So he's a junior tabi'in. He's learning from senior tabi'in. Now you've got a little bit of knowledge about who his teachers are. They weren't pakore wali, right? You know, with diabetes. You know, these were the, the outstanding scholars of the time. So what effect do you think that would have upon Imam Abu Hanifa? <laughs> so note, he was the product of the school of Ibn Masood. And what did Ibn Masood say? Nobody will surpass any of you. You have surpassed all the Muslims. And he was right. So this was the great Ibn Masood. And the effects of the companions. I leave This is why Umar goes, I need him more than you. But I've sacrificed. I've sent him. And this was now the fruits of the sacrifice. <laughs> so all I mentioned today was a short brief on some of the noble students of Ibn Mas'ud and again mountains that passed away before us. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?